calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. The Rookie is a free serialized audiobook meant for mature audiences. Written and performed by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. For links to order a young adult version of this book without all the cussing, in print, ebook, or audiobook, visit scottsigler.com slash the rookie one word. This podcast contains mature situations, adult language, and lots and lots of violence. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, my junkie. Hello, my baby. Hello, my ragtime doll. I am on a little bit of a writing retreat with Mr. Robert Otto of Story Smack fame. If you ever watched our Story Smack movie live streams or listen to the podcast, Rob was always there providing his immense knowledge in the world of movies. We're working on a screenplay together, but it's nothing I can talk about at the moment. Uh, we already did one called Mall Pigs. If you happen to be in the market for a $1 to $7 million indie feature that you want to you know, finance or produce, throw us an email, info at empty set. Comedy horror. It's great. Uh, I'm also working on a outline for a novel for hire. I can't tell you what guys what that is about. The people who are doing the hiring want to keep the project quiet. That's very cool. During this writing retreat, I am seeing my family a little bit. Hopefully this time I don't catch COVID like I did when I went to Pennsylvania. I'm expecting the second draft of Shakedown, the crit book one, to come back from the editor at about the end of August. And then the third and hopefully final draft begins. Let's get you caught up on the story, and then we're all going to go step on a rusty bottle cap and get tetanus. Previously on The Rookie, Quentin got his first taste of the upper tiers in a home win against the Wu Wallcrawlers. He threw his first touchdown pass with the Krakens, but there's more to life than football, and his struggle to fit in continues. He looked at his face in the mirror a dozen times in a dozen different ways, but he couldn't find any sign of that nasty cut. There was redness, like mild sunburn, on the area where the bandage had been, but nothing else. Quen tilted his head this way and that, pulled at his skin, amazed at what he didn't see. John Tweedy walked by, dressed in only a towel. Hey, cut all gone, farm boy! Quentin looked at the bigger man and just nodded. You're a dumb shithead cracker, scrolled across Tweedy's forehead. You won't find the cut, you stupid hick. It's fixed. Tweedy put on a sarcastic, wide-eyed expression of wonder. 
Oh, this here's some big magic, Quentin. Here in the big city, we fix people right up. Like my magic. Big magic here. Quentin stared for a moment before he spoke. What's your home planet, Tweety? Tweety pounded his chest three times. Glory be to Thomas Three, motherfucker. At least the nation has something in common with Thomas Three, Tweety. Oh yeah? And what's that, rookie? Based on your intelligence level, I gather Thomas Three also has a major inbreeding problem. Tweety's sarcastic expression evaporated, replaced by a tooth-bared sneer. You better watch your tongue, boy, or your ass is mine. Sorry, buttfucker. I'm afraid I like women, so I'm not your type. Tweety's fist reared back, his taut muscles rippling under his skin. Quentin watched the hand and simultaneously watched Tweety's eyes. The big man stepped forward and threw his ham-sized fist, but Quentin moved so fast the punch might as well have been in slow motion. He stepped to the side as the fist hit only empty air. Tweety's momentum carried him forward a few awkward steps. In one smooth motion, Quentin reached out and snatched the towel from Tweety's waist, holding one end in each hand. He pulled it tight, then snapped his left hand forward. The towel shot out like a striking snake and snapped Tweety's ass. All of this before the big linebacker could even recover from his missed punch. Tweety stood straight up as he turned, his hands reaching back to cover his ass. His eyes grew wide with fury and his lips curled back in a primitive snarl. Fist clenched. He took a step forward, but stopped when Quentin held the towel tight once again, poised for another snap. Tweety pointed his finger at Quentin. Put down that towel, you purest piece of shit, and we'll settle this right now! Sure thing, Johnny boy. Maybe this time I can snap your little pecker right off your body. Quentin twitched his shoulders as if to snap again, and the naked Tweety took a hurried step back. Someone in the locker room started laughing. Barnes, put that towel down! Quentin turned to see Hokor standing there, fur fluffed, his pedipalps trembling. Put it down! Without looking, Quentin tossed the towel behind him. Tweety caught it and wrapped it once again around his waist. In my office, now! Coach Hokor stomped away, and Quentin followed. Here we go. He saw how I played in a real game, and now we'll get to talk about how he thinks I'm ready for more. Hokor's office was just off the central meeting room. Holo frames lined the wall, showing Hokor with Kraken's players, as well as action shots of him on the sidelines of the Dachau War Dogs, the Jupiter Jacks, and the Chilich Spider Bears. There were also several pictures, the old-fashioned flat kind, showing humans that Quentin didn't recognize. One had a brimmed, houndstooth pattern hat pulled down almost over his eyes. He wore an antique suit and had human players around him in crimson helmets with a white stripe and crimson jersey with block white letters and numbers. Another showed a squat, smiling man in a long coat with thick black glasses and a buzz cut. He was riding on the shoulders of two dirty, happy men in green uniforms with yellow helmets. A football holo played in the center of the room. The Glory War Pigs playing host to the Kraken's next foe, the Grontak Hydras. How are the Hydras looking, coach? They are my nightmare. Hokor sat behind his desk. The desk was curved like half a circle, made of some hard plant material Quentin had never seen before. Yet despite the alien wood and the alien city with this alien coach, Quentin couldn't help but think of Coach Graber, 
sitting behind his desk back on McCovey. They have great speed at receiver. Their outside linebackers, Locust the Bruised and Billis the Destroyer, were all GFL last year. And Wichita is without a doubt the best cornerback in Tier 2. She'll probably be able to shut Hayward down completely. As the camera changed angles, a score flashed. Warpigs, 22. Hydras, 12. I don't know, coach. If they're so good, well, how come they're losing? Hokor stared at him for a moment before answering. Burns, the Hydra score against the Warpigs does not matter. Nor does their record. Nor does it matter if the Hydras lose all their games. The only thing that matters is how they match up against us. And they match up very well indeed. Not that it matters to you. Of course it matters to me, coach. Why wouldn't it? Because you're benched next week. Benched? Oh, are you kidding me? For snapping John Tweedy on the ass? I do not care about the silly bonding games you human males play. Hokor's big eye flooded to a clear black. You're benched for that pass you threw. Quentin's jaw dropped. What the hell are you talking about? I threw a 55-yard touchdown for high one's sake. A pass I did not tell you to throw. Hokor slapped the desktop with his petty palps. I told you to take a knee, and don't think I'm fooled by your trick of turning off your helmet receiver. Is this some kind of a rookie joke? I do not joke. So how fucking long am I out for? One game. You will dress to lessen your shame, but you will not see any playing time. It is important that the team sees you as a competent backup to Pine, so we will keep this to ourselves. But you are going to learn who is in charge here, Barnes. Quentin stared at the diminutive coach. He wanted to come across the desk and punch out that one big eye. It didn't matter how he played. Nothing was right in Hokor's eyes. This is all to protect Pine, isn't it? You know damn well I should be starting. Right now, you're not fit to start a grab cab, let alone start for a Tier 2 team. The sooner you see that, the sooner we can start working to make you good enough to play in this league. Well, I look pretty damn good today. You were playing garbage time against the second-string free safety on the worst team in the division. Hardly an impressive outing. Now leave! I must prepare for next week's game. Gwen stood and stormed out of the office, making sure to accidentally bump his shoulder against one of the holo frames as he left. He heard the heavy thing crash into the floor and heard Hokor's angry yell, but ignored both and walked back to the human dressing room. Pine was there, dressed in a sharp blue suit that complemented his blue skin. He flashed Quentin a wide smile. Hey, one hell of a game today. And man, that was a hell of a shot you put on Tweety. The guy's left cheek is already black and blue. Where'd you learn to do that? In the mines, Quentin said as he sulked at his locker. Round bugs down there. Every kid carries a weighted rope. You learn early on how to snap the rope and kill any round bugs, you see. You don't learn to do it right, you die. Pine's face wrinkled in disbelief. Oh, come on, man, are you kidding me? How old were you when they taught you that? Five. That's when you start working in the mines. At five? Five years old? Working a mine with a poisonous bug or, or whatever? Good God, Quentin, what kind of a place did you grow up in? A chosen place, called the deep voice of Rick Warburg where only the blessed can live. <laughs> well, that doesn't sound very blessed to me, champ. High one protects the faithful. All right, I see, the faithful. And so therefore, if a little child is killed by one of these bugs, then that's because the child was not faithful. So the child dies, and it's the child's fault. Warburg nodded. Pine shook his head. 
Hey, man, great place you guys live in. Say, Quentin, it's Ak and I are heading out in the town. There's a great Chinese place just past the stadium. Pine's audacity amazed Quentin. The guy was pulling every string in the book to keep his starting job and was two-faced enough to try and be friends. I've got a place Quentin would be more happy with his own people. Pine looked at Warburg, then looked at Quentin, then shrugged and walked away. Finish getting dressed, Quentin. I got a surprise for you. Here's a quick question for you. How did you sleep last night? If your battle for a good night's sleep feels relentless, I have the answer. It's a podcast called Sleep Wave with meditations and hypnosis created to help you fall asleep. My relaxation techniques will help you feel calm and ready for sleep with soft music that will help you fall asleep in minutes. Most listeners never hear the end of an episode. So search Sleep Wave on your favorite podcast app and find out why over a million people have fallen asleep to my voice. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. You'll love this neighborhood. There's a couple of thousand expatriate nationalites on Ionath. Most of them came during the cleansing. Their grav cab floated along the magnetic track that led through the human cultural area. Grav cabs abounded in the dome city. You just hopped on, told it where you wanted to go, then enjoyed the ride. On Makovi, only the rich could afford any kind of car, let alone one with a driver. Here in Ionath City, Cars were not only available to anyone at any time, they were also free. The two-mile diameter dome created 12 square miles of ground, most of that space taken up by the main towering buildings of downtown Ionath City. The remaining space was home to the cultural areas of several species, Sklorno, Key, and Human, a 50-story high-pressure gas cylinder for the Hurrah, aquatic centers for the Leaky, Dolphins, and Wittok, the human cultural area consisted of only six city blocks, which didn't leave a lot of room for individual neighborhoods that reflected the thousands of various human cultures. As a result, the human district, as the residents called it, was a hodgepodge of cultural influences crammed together in a claustrophobically confined space. Wait till we eat. An old couple owns the place. Used to run a restaurant back in Allah. Down-home nation cooking. They got a habanero falafel biscuit that will put your mouth in punch space. Quentin marveled at the area's diversity. A hotel catering to League of Planets residents right next to a cafe that advertised food from the Tower Republic, next to a vodka-only liquor store that specialized in brands from across the galaxy. He saw dance clubs, restaurants, grocery stores, and shops, all of which had signs written in standard and hundreds of other languages. Shops and stores and restaurants packed one on top of the other and side by side. There were also dozens of places that, despite assorted cultural trappings, were easily identified by brightly lit signs showing stylized logos of liquor and beer, combined with some image of football. Bars, it seemed, looked the same everywhere in the galaxy. People of every type walked the streets. Back home, 
he was used to the skin tones of his countrymen, black, brown, yellowish, and pinkish. But here, those tones mingled with others that never set foot on nation's soil. Blue, bleach white, reddish, and even the occasional deep purple skin of an amphibious human from the Wittok kingdom. The mongrel races, as they'd been called back home. And it wasn't just humans. Gaudily dressed key businessmen freely walked the streets, as did quith leaders, quith warriors, tiny sclerno males, and floating hurrah. Amidst the diversity, he suddenly realized that one species was notedly absent. Where are all the Kretorakian soldiers? There aren't any. Quentin looked at Warburg. There aren't any? How is that even possible? They rule the friggin' universe. Warburg shrugged. They don't rule here. The quith are independent. The bats never conquered them. The concept seemed impossible. All his life, he and his people had been ruled by the Kretorakians. Quentin had never known a time when the omnipresent bats had not controlled everything. So, so what you're saying is in the war, the quith won? The quith won, while the purest nation was conquered, was the words that went unsaid. They can thank Satan for that. The quith are in league with the low one. Temporary freedom for an eternity of fire, Quentin. It's hardly a good deal. Music of many differing styles filtered out of windows and open bar doors. Smells of enticing foods combined with the stench of garbage and the ever-present onion scent of the quith workers. Quentin had never before experienced such a concentration of sights, sounds, and smells. Look at this place. Warburg said, gesturing to the brightly lit signs of three different churches lined up side by side. Look at all the blasphemy that goes on in the galaxy, Quentin. It's as if a new religion pops up every damn day. Churches of every type filled tiny buildings, offices, and upper story lofts. He'd never imagined that there were so many different religions. On McCovey, you either followed the purest way or you followed no way at all. Practicing other religions in nation space got you thrown in jail, if you were lucky, or dragged before a tribunal, which usually resulted in jail, public beatings, or being stoned to death. Someday, purest nation troops will walk down this street. Someday, all of these sinners will burn. Quentin said nothing. He didn't feel anger or disgust. He felt excitement. Excitement at something new and different. He suddenly realized that, for the first time in his life, he was free of not only the Kretorakian Empire's watchful eye, but also the purest church's constant restrictions. All right, Quentin, here we are. Warburg hit the stop button on the automated grab cab. Quentin got out in front of a building with a flickering holo sign of the infinity symbol. Below the flickering sign were the words, The Blessed Lamb, and below that, a nondescript brown door. Some graffiti covered the plain black walls. Quentin couldn't make out most of the writing, but one message in standard read, Haters go home. Warburg walked in, and Quentin followed. There was a brief pause as the men walked in and heads turned, followed by a chorus of cheers and calls of praise high one. Over half the crowd of 50-plus patrons wore the blue. Most of the men bore the infinity tattoo on their foreheads. Welcome, Brother Warburg, said a fat man in priest robes. Ooh, we enjoyed your performance today. Thank you, Father Harry. 
Warburg warmly shook the man's hand. Yeah, three catches for 28 yards, said a man on their right, dressed in purest blue, a coffee mug in his hand. And let's not forget the highlight of the day when you put that damn cricket in the hospital. Thanks, Elder Grayson. Any word on his condition? Father Harry smiled. ESPN reports the beast is out for two to three games. Reports said her leg was nearly severed at the knee. A sneering smile covered Warburg's face, and he pumped his fist. I tried to make that thing come right off. The word shocked Quentin. He stared at Warburg, wondering if the man was joking. Had he really tried to maim the wall crawler defensive back? Warburg stood tall and raised his voice. Hey, listen, everybody. I want to introduce you to the latest purist nation export, Quentin Barnes. A round of cheers and applause filled the small bar. Hands reached out to pat Quentin's shoulder or shake his hand. He couldn't help but smile at the outpouring of affection. These were nationalites, church members, and yet they seemed to instantly accept him. Quentin didn't know what to make of it. A blessed game you played today, my son. Two for two for 80 yards and a touchdown. Now that's showing the galaxy what a nationalite can do. Heh, maybe you'll be starting soon. Get some more passes to Rick here. I wouldn't know they'd have had more catches if that damn blue boy quarterback would stop throwing to that scum Kobayashi. He doesn't even have half of Rick's skills. Warburg shrugged and held up his hands as if to say, What can I do? Quentin's thoughts came back to football and he felt his face turn red with embarrassment. He wouldn't be starting. He wouldn't even be playing in the next game. Benched. He had been benched. Quentin and Warburg were the center of attention as the bar's owners, a husband and wife team named Brother Guido and Monica Bassett, brought plate after plate of classic nation dishes. The conversation revolved around the hated Planetary Union, the hated League of Planets, the hated Tower Republic, the demonic key, the demonic sclorno, the demonic quith, etc., etc. It was the same conversation Quentin had heard every day of his life. Yet somehow, in this alien city, with his alien teammates probably only a few blocks away at their own cultural centers, the conversation seemed out of place. It even seemed wrong. He suddenly wanted to be somewhere else. And he wanted a beer. Several beers. Back on McCovey, he didn't care who he offended with his preference of beverage. But these people were so nice. And Warburg had really tried hard to make him feel at home. For the first time in his life, Quentin found that he didn't want to offend the people around him. Quentin finished his fourth helping of habanero falafel biscuits, his mouth a dichotomy of tasty pleasure and fiery burning pain. He stood and smiled. Thank you all for your hospitality. The crowd groaned in objection. Quentin, you're leaving? Oh, it's my first time in the city. You know, I want to walk around a bit. You want me to come with you? Quentin shook his head. Nah, no, nah, thanks. You stay. I just, you know, I want to kind of take in the sights by myself. Warburg stood and shook Quentin's hand, starting a cavalcade of handshaking and backpatting from smiling, happy, expat nationalites. Father Harry stood with some effort thanks to his ample girth and handed Quentin a plastic call chit. Quentin, my son, if there's anything you need, anything at all, you have but to call. We have a network of national-like business owners and travelers who can help you no matter what the problem. Quentin took the chit. The offer didn't surprise him. He'd received preferential treatment ever since he'd started his first game two years ago. But this was different. 
Before, he'd been treated with deference just because he was a quarterback. But here he had a feeling it had nothing to do with football. Well, almost nothing. But mostly, it was because he was a nationalite. Well, there is one thing. What is it, my son? I'm, uh, I'm looking for my parents. Are they on Ioneth? I, well, you know, I don't know. I haven't seen them since I was maybe three. I think they left McCovey, but I don't know. Father Harry nodded knowingly. A sad nod. A supporting nod. I see. Don't be embarrassed, Quentin. Your story's quite common. Many of us, even in this room, had to leave the nation suddenly, either leave or die. Families are scattered throughout the universe. So how do I find them? What are their names? I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't remember. I know their last name's Barnes, but that's all. Do you have any other family? Quentin held his breath. Here it comes. Now they find out I have no family, and they treat me like shit, just like they treated me back in McCovey. Quentin, do you have any other family, brothers, aunts, or uncles? No. Father Harry clapped Quentin on the shoulder. Then we'll have to start from scratch, my son. We'll put out the word. Last name Barnes, left McCovey about 16 years ago? Quentin looked up into Father Harry's eyes. The man was still smiling, still supportive. Yeah, yeah, you know, 15 or 16 years ago. If they can be found, we will find them. Now go enjoy your sightseeing. You're welcome here any time. Quentin mumbled thanks, then walked outside. He just didn't know what to make of it. These people were a support network, a small tribe in a hostile land. He felt the sense of community, of brotherhood. They offered to help him, not because he was a football player, but because they automatically considered him to be one of them. He had to travel hundreds of light years from his home to be accepted by his own people. It was so confusing, it made his head hurt. He started walking. He'd never been treated like that before. Those people were so nice to him, so gracious and friendly and loving, and just because he was a nationalite. And yet, those same people hated everything that was different from them. Not just hated, but wanted to destroy. He walked in only a few short minutes when the environment changed. The buildings looked the same, but the glowing sign showed alien words. Strange music flowed from open doors. If you could call it music. Some horrible screeching sound with rhythm, mostly. Quentin looked around, realizing he'd walked right through the human district and into the Sklorno cultural area. Tall Sklorno females wrapped in heavy clothing walked about. Sklorno males abounded, but here the tiny creatures moved in an orderly, calm fashion, nothing like the bouncing madness he'd seen at the game. He also realized that he'd drawn a crowd. Looking about, he saw he was surrounded by Sklorno females. They kept their distance a good 15 feet, but ringed him nonetheless. Well, 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 look who's out in the town! Quentin cringed when he heard the deep human voice. John Tweedy. He turned to see Tweedy and Yasud standing there. Perhaps leaning was a better description. Both men held magna cans of beer, and both looked like they'd been drinking for hours. They were both stylishly dressed, although the clothes looked a bit worse for the wear, as if they'd fallen down several times during the night. Tweedy also wore a bandolier filled with magna cans. 
take one down, pass it around, scrolled across Tweedy's forehead. Thank you, Yasud said. Hey, Yasud. Quentin still stared at Tweedy, bracing himself for some kind of conflict. Uh, so what's a racist piece of shit like you doing in this Clorno district? Quentin started to answer, but Yasud cut him off. Ah, leave him alone, Johnny. He's here, isn't he? Tweedy seemed to consider this seriously for almost five seconds, as if it were an advanced trigonometry problem. Uh, yeah. He gave a definitive nod of the head. Yasud laughed. I'm finding our world-class linebacker ain't too sharp after you get a few in him. Tweedy reached into his bandolier and pulled out a magna can. Hey, Q, you want a beer? It was the last thing he'd expected to hear from John Tweedy. Sure. Quentin took the offered can. He twisted the top, feeling the can grow instantly cold in his hand. He took a long drink. The amazing taste exploded in his mouth. He looked at the can. Miller Lager. Where the hell did you get this? Tweedy's face furrowed in confusion. From a beer store. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, how much did this cost? It cost five credits for a 10-pack. Five credits? Are you joking? Yasud and Tweedy looked at each other, then at Quentin, and both laughed. Okay, fine, so it's cheap beer. Go to the store and get whatever you want. No, no, it's great. Quentin took another long pull, draining the can. I don't know how you got it for that price. Is there any more left at that store? Are you kidding me? There's a whole wall of it. They had to be joking, of course. Miller Lager was ten credits a can back home. Tweedy and Yasud started to walk towards a door. Quentin didn't know what the building was until he saw the glowing holo sign, some logo he didn't recognize, with words he couldn't read, but in the middle of it was the familiar outline of a football. It was a sports bar. Tweedy and Yasud made it as far as the wall before they fell down in a heap. Yasud attempted to rise, while Tweedy didn't even move. Quentin sighed. All of a sudden, he was the sober one and knew he had to get his teammates home. He signaled the grav cab and helped Yasud stumble in. Then he struggled to lift Tweedy's 400-plus pounds, breaking a sweat before he rolled the big, muscular man onto the cab's floor. The vehicle was built to carry all types of sentience, including key, which meant there was still plenty of room. <sighs> Take us to the Kraken's building. The grav cab slid noiselessly down the track. Week 1 League Roundup, courtesy of Galaxy Sports Network. Opening week of the Quit the Radiated schedule held few surprises. The Glory Warpigs, 1-0, topped the Grontek Hydras, 0-1, thanks to a pair of interceptions by the Warpigs' all-pro cornerback, Toyonaka. Last year's rookie sensation, Condor Adrienne, showed why he's the hope of the Wittok Pioneers, 1-0 throwing for 334 yards and three touchdowns in a 42-10 blowout win over the Quit Survivors, who are 0-1. Donald Pine, quarterback of the INF Krakens, 1-0, showed no signs of his age, throwing three touchdown passes in a 31-7 win over the Wu Wallcrawlers, 0-1. The Sheb Stalkers, 0-1, couldn't manage any answer to the Mad Jew Tweedy, who ran for 212 yards to lead the orbiting death, 1-0, to a 32-7 win. Jew notched three rushing touchdowns and knocked two stalker defenders out for the season. The Big Diggers, 1-0, edged out a 21-16 win over the Sky Demolition. Deaths. 
Princeton, a kick returner for the Big Diggers, was killed on a tackle by Yala the Biter. League officials ruled that it was a clean hit. Week 1 Players of the Week Offense Condor Adrian Quarterback Wittalk Pioneers 31 of 42, 334 yards, 3 touchdowns, no interceptions. Defense Arkham Cornerback for the Big Diggers 6 tackles, 1 sack, 2 interceptions, 5 passes defended. For more details on the week's action and a preview of the Kraken's next game, visit www.galacticfootballleague.com. You have been listening to The Rookie, book one of the Galactic Football League series. Produced by Ariok Morningstar with post-production by Steve Rickyberg. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. For more information on the author and more free stories, go to scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song The Kids Are Coming For You by the band Superweapon, superweaponband.com. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.